Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. Hola, bienvenido a la Trail Less Traveled. This afternoon, this hot, humid, sticky afternoon, the radio program is being recorded in central Havana, Cuba. We're sitting in Habana Red, which is a little restaurante in Carlo Tresero. And I'm sitting here with my brother, Iao. By the time this show airs, he's going to be going by the name Jesse Weber. But for the show, I'll be asking him and referring to him as Iao. Iao grew up in Wyoming and in Montana. He went to Cuba for the first time in 2000. He's been traveling here for the past 18 years. This is his eighth time in Cuba. He studies music here as well as dance. He speaks Spanish fluently and he plays many instruments, including the tambor, the congas, a drum kit, marimba, guitar. It's an honor and a privilege to be sitting here in Havana, Cuba, drinking a cold Presidente beer and hear his life story on the Trail Less Traveled. So first of all, Iao, thank you so much for joining me here today on the Trail Less Traveled. Mandela, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be doing this finally after talking about it for many years. So yeah, it's an honor. It's a pleasure. So you're sitting across from me. There's a fan above us. I don't know about you, but I'm sticky with sweat. This is the sweatiest country I've ever been to, but it's also the most passionate and inspirational country I've ever been to. So behind me, you can maybe hear the classic vintage cars going by. I'm looking right now at some cumbia on Cuba's version of MTV, but you can see Havana behind me. So can you tell the listener what you see behind me? I see lots of classic old cars, beautiful colored cars, pink, green, blue, palm trees. The clouds in Havana are amazing. It's got the blue sky with big, fluffy white clouds. We're looking at one of the hospitals here in Havana. And then Carlo Tercero is a pretty busy street right in central Havana. So great view, fun people watching. I love the fashion of Havana. It's is fantastic. And I'm in complete agreement. This is the hottest, stickiest place I've ever been as well. I don't know what the humidity level is, but it's pretty much as soon as you get out of the shower, you feel like you need another shower. I usually find myself taking three showers a day here just to cool myself down. The house that I stay in has hot water, but I don't ever use the hot water. I just keep it cold. Go with cold water because that's the only way to cool down here. And you live just about one block away from where we're recording this right now? That's correct. One block away, and Siegfried is the name of the street. Siegfried, really fantastic house. I feel absolutely blessed to be able to call it home when I'm here. It's second level of a three-level apartment building, and big three bedrooms with a big kitchen and a big living room, beautiful little balcony, 
great neighborhood and it's amazing. I feel like I'm dreaming all the time. And you also, I feel, have somewhat of a guru-student relationship right now because you are living with one of your main music teachers as well, Miguel. That is true. Miguel has been definitely an inspiration to me since I first met him. I met him in 1998 in Montana. He came to teach a master class at, at the school while I was in college, and I was immediately completely in love with the music that he was teaching. Amazing. The rhythms are nothing I'd ever heard before, and he told me to come and study with him in Cuba, and I am so happy that I took his advice, and I did come, and I've been studying with him for a long time, and I feel so privileged to be able to live in the same house with him and play with him on a regular basis. It's definitely a fantastic learning experience all the time. Now, people listening in the United States might actually know Miguel and the band that he plays in. He spends a lot of his time in Portland, but tomorrow I think he's heading to Tokyo, Japan, and then he's doing what seems like kind of a world tour. That's correct. He's the percussionist for a group called Pink Martini. I feel like he spends at least 50% of his time traveling with them. They're touring all over. He's been to Russia, Turkey, Australia, China, Japan... Bulgaria, all over the place, so it's really a fantastic thing for him to have, being able to travel like that. That's something that most Cubans never get to do in their life, so I feel really happy for him. If you're just joining us, we are on the trail less traveled, which today is being recorded in central Havana, Cuba. And I'm speaking with Iao, who by the time the show airs will be known as Jesse Weber. We're going to get back to Cuba and how you met Miguel and your first visits here, including your time here now, but I'd like to head back many, many years. I'd like to ask you about your childhood. So my first question from you, where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? Wow. I guess I'll start with my birth. I was born in Lander, Wyoming, which is the home of Knowles National Outdoor Leadership School right outside the Wind River Canyon. Really amazing mountains all around there. Before I was two years old, my parents sent me on a trip to Pennsylvania, where they're both from. My aunt rode the plane out to Pennsylvania, and I spent two weeks with my mom's parents and two weeks with my dad's parents. And then one of my parents' friends picked me up, took me to the airport, and flew me back here. So... I guess that was my first real adventure. And then we moved to Sheridan, Wyoming. We moved actually outside of Sheridan, Wyoming, a little town called Bighorn, Wyoming. We lived on the Polo Ranch, a working ranch, cows, horses, all of that, and a big polo field. So they had polo matches every Saturday afternoon. I pretty much had free reign to walk all over the ranch. There was a river, and we would float down the river, and my little brother and I would... We had to stay in whistling distance, but we could be wherever we could be as long as we could hear my mom's whistle. And when my mom's whistle happened, we had to get home right away. The longer it was, the more I had to hurry to get home. Quick one was, that meant get home, but you don't have to run. When it was long, that meant... You better get home right now or you're going to get a licking. So um, we lived there, I think, until my sister was born or right before my sister was born. 
Then we moved to the town of Bighorn, and I learned how to ride a bike, I think, when I was four. And it was a dirt road. Everyone knew everyone. And I would ride my bike all day. I would leave in the morning time and come back for dinner. Maybe stop in for lunch to grab a sandwich, but I would take it on my bike, and I would ride my bike all over the town. I've always liked adventure. I guess I started adventuring a whole lot more. When I was 10, my parents got divorced. Going up to that, you know, the little uncomfortable moments that would be in the house would be a great time for me to escape and go and walk through the woods or whatever. Then after my parents divorced, my mom moved back to Lander, which was a long ways away. So every other weekend we would travel between Sheridan and Lander, which was a good five-hour drive. I would be on my own a lot, go make friends and meet people and find out what's going on in, in every place. Started skateboarding, would go all over on my skateboard instead of my bike at that point. If you've just joined us, you're on the trail less traveled, which today is being recorded on location in Havana, Cuba. We are sitting in a restaurante in Carlo Tresero in central Havana, and I'm speaking with Iao, or known as Jesse Weber. Iao, I'm just wondering, for someone listening, say someone in Cuba or someone in California where you live now in San Francisco, who doesn't know about Sheridan, Wyoming and Lander, Wyoming, can you describe these cities for us and Wyoming in general? What's Wyoming like? Wyoming. I would say I have a love-hate relationship with Wyoming. I love the mountains. The western side of Wyoming, the Rocky Mountains go through there, the Tetons, the Bighorn Mountains, lots and lots of national forests, tons of wildlife. You see foxes, lots of coyotes, elk, moose, deer, bear, bald eagles, big owls, absolutely beautiful, great place for nature. It's gorgeous in the springtime, all that wildflowers blooming. In the summer, it gets a little bit too hot for me, but then again, we're sitting in Havana, and it's a lot hotter in Havana than it is in Wyoming, but hot and dry there. The fall, the leaves change color, and then winter hits, and unless you're going to go snowboarding, it's just no place that I would want to be. It's way too cold in the winter times. The snow is beautiful, and it's fun to go play in the snow. It's a nice place to visit in the wintertime. But for the most part, very, very rural. The main industry is oil at this point. Oil, methane gas, coal, still a big thing there. And agriculture. But definitely beautiful, beautiful place to visit. Yeah, Sheridan, Wyoming is a great little town. But it's all full, so don't try to move there or anything like that. In fact, you probably shouldn't even visit unless you just want to come for your rodeo weekend and have a good party. <laughs> That sounds like what we tell people in Missoula. It's all full, no room in Montana. It's interesting to speak to you now about Sheridan, Wyoming, while we sit here in hot, humid Havana. It's amazing how small this world is. I feel like being in Cuba now, it's almost like being in Africa, which is partially why I've fallen madly in love with the city and this, this country. Is I don't have to go on this transatlantic flight to get to Africa. I feel like a little bit of Africa is closer to home here in Cuba. How do you feel about that? I feel like Cuba is definitely very, very African. The music, the roots of the music, and, the, and a huge percentage of the population practices African religion and play African music. And then 
the roots of all the salsa and the danzón, the timba, the reggaeton, that's all African roots. So, yeah, it's, it's very African here. It's very fun. And a lot of times it's hard to understand what some people are saying when they are speaking Cuban Spanish because they use African words in their language. So, yeah, very African here. Well, if you just tuned in, we are recording in central Havana, Cuba right now. We're sitting in a restaurant. We just got our food, so we're going to enjoy it, and uh, we'll come back. Before we do that, I just want to kind of wrap up your childhood in a sense. It's hard to fast forward through one's life, but you and I went on a beautiful walk today, and you talked about some of the injuries that you endured and what you learned from those accidents. It involved breaking your leg. It involved knee surgeries. But let's talk about snowboarding skateboarding those are two things that were are important in your life skateboarding was definitely a huge part of my life i spent a whole lot of time on the skateboard at one point i thought that's what i was going to do for my career and i would push myself really hard and i love to ollie down a huge staircase or jump over a big gap jump from parking lot to parking lot and drop eight feet or whatever and completely destroyed my meniscus Snowboarding is definitely much easier on your body. I absolutely love, love, love snowboarding. One of the things that drew me to going to college in Missoula was the fact that Snowball is right there, beautiful mountains. And as a kid growing up, I had a group of my friends that we would, every year before the ski area opened, we would hike up to the top of the mountain carrying our snowboards and snowboard down as many times as we could on, on the weekend days until the ski area opened and... Yeah, I love snowboarding. It's a great part of adventure and a great part of my childhood. And definitely between snowboarding and skateboarding, that caused (sighs) six knee surgeries, a broken collarbone, one chip on my bone, and then indirectly a broken leg. (laughs) So I guess what I learned from that is Give your body some time. Don't push your body too hard. It's the only body that we have. It's our vessel for this lifetime, so we got to take care of it. Beautiful. We are recording The Trail Has Traveled on location in Central Habana, Cuba. It is late afternoon. It's in the 90s. Upwards of 100% humidity. I've just got a beautiful plate of spaghetti sitting in front of me, and I'm drinking una cerveza, one of my favorite beers that I've encountered while in Cuba. And when we return, we are going to talk about Cuba. We're going to tell you about this city. We're going to tell you about my guest's experiences. This is his eighth visit to Cuba. Many, many, many Cubans believe that he is also a Cuban. I was with him last night, and there was one man that did not believe that he was from the United States. They thought that he's Cuban. So we have a lot to learn about the adventures of my guest, Iao who, by the time the show airs, can be called Jesse Weber. Alas, yao, it's now time for a song. So, is there a song that comes to mind right now that reminds you of your childhood growing up in the adventures of Wyoming? Adventures in Wyoming? I'm throwing a little curveball here, I guess. I'm going to go with little James Taylor, Country Road. That's definitely something that reminds me of my childhood in Wyoming. Why? Well, first of all, everyone loves the drop D. The guitar with the drop D is awesome. It's got that big, bold, kind of country twangy thing going on. And walking down a country road, that's what I did all my childhood. (laughs) 
Australia-less travel podcast is sponsored by Karuna Clothing. Sewn with love and laughter, Karuna Clothing is a handcrafted from natural fabrics which soften as they age. They design clothing lines to fit the moods of places which have inspired them. Designed simply and using the best fabrics, Karuna Clothing creates their own unique colours. Strong, well-sewn, small batch, unique product lines which are simply beautiful. Handmade in Missoula, Montana... All of Karuna clothing is sewn and dyed in the US and all workers are paid good living wages. www.karunaclothing.com That's K-A-R-U-N-A clothing.com Today the trail has traveled is being recorded in central Havana, Cuba. And we are in Habana Red, a restaurante in Carlo Tresero. I'm sitting here, it's hot, but beautiful, worth it. I'm sitting across from Iao, my guest today, who by the time the show airs can be called Jesse Weber. So if you're listening, please sit back, relax, try to put yourself in our situation. So turn your heat up to maybe... 95, 100 degrees, turn on your humidifier or five of them until you're sweating profusely, until the sweat drips down your back and down your crack. Then you are on location with us in Havana. Um, Crack open a cold beer and enjoy on the trail less traveled. Tonight, we are going to be talking about music now because his first visit to Havana was in 2000. He's come here over the past 18 years. This is his eighth visit to Cuba. He studies music here. He studied music at the University of Montana and graduated in the year 2000 with a degree in music. He studied under Dr. Bob Ledbetter and he plays everything percussion, including drum kit, tambour, congas. He lives now in San Francisco, California, but again, we are recording in Cuba. So, Io, can you tell us about your story as far as music, how it came into your life, and how it has guided your path? I've been told that I was born with music in me. My mom tells me that when I was a baby, I would bang on everything. I would make drum sets out of pots and pans and play them until she thought it would be better if she just got me a drum set so that I would play that instead of the pots and pans. So when I was four, she bought me one of the Sears Roebuck gold sparkle little tiny kids drum set. It sounded terrible, but it was a drum set. Then she took me to the school to try to get me drum lessons. The uh, teacher in the school didn't want to teach me drum lessons, so... Then she took me to her friend, John Quarterman, Q-Man, runs Q-Man Music in Sheridan, Wyoming. Fantastic man. And he's like, oh yeah, I'll teach Jesse drums. And so my lesson, I came over there and went down into his basement. He had a drum set and a bunch of amps and a bunch of equipment set up down there. And so I sat down at the drum set and he taught me a couple beats. I had already you know, been practicing my drum set a lot. Mostly put Led Zeppelin on and jammed out to Led Zeppelin in the living room. But this was my first, like, official drum set lesson. And he taught me 
two or three beats and a couple fills, simple fills. And then he gave me hand signals for each one. He says, when I give you a two, you do this. When I give you a fist, you do this. When I do this, you do that. So I was like, okay, great. So we went through them a couple times. And as we're working on them, three other guys showed up. They plugged in. One of them was a bass player, another guitar player, a keyboard player. And then John picked up his guitar. And then I played the drums for their band practice. And it was pretty awesome. I think that the lesson was supposed to be an hour lesson, and when I hadn't come home for four hours, my mom called and was like, what is going on? Is everything all right? And John was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. We're just here practicing. And then I got home, and my mom asked me, well, how was it? And I had to quote Q-Man on his quote. He said, Jesse, the drums are the heartbeat of rock and roll. Then I was definitely hooked on the drums. When I was five, my mom got me a Gretsch, really old classic Gretsch kit, drum kit. It was Red Sparkle. It was definitely extremely used, but well-loved, and I had to put that in the guest house. They wouldn't let us have. We had, like, a little cabin annexed off of our house that was separate, and they wouldn't let me put the drum set in the regular house, so I put it over there. But I would just go over there and practice for hours. Then, I think... Starting when I was maybe 12 or 13, I I discovered Santana, and I read about the New Orleans Jazz Festival. My dad asked me, what do I want for my birthday? I said, I want to go to the New Orleans Jazz Festival. I think that he laughed at me three years in a row, and then when I was 14, he took me to the New Orleans Jazz Festival. I discovered the Congo stage with all of the hand percussion, the African music, the djembes, and there was a big, huge dun-dun group. The dun-duns are the big wooden drums that have rawhide on either side. It's African, and they play with a big stick. They're thunderous, but they also play a melody. Really fun. And then we saw Santana twice. And then Santana was on the airplane when we were flying home. And I went, and I got his autograph, and... I was like, I saw you at the concert last night, and you did a really great job. That was amazing. He said, oh, thanks for listening, man. Gave me an autograph and all that. And from then, I decided I needed to get congas, and I needed to learn how to play them. So the conga drums are big wooden, just above knee high. Usually, they're about 32 inches tall. They're wooden shells with rawhide heads stretched over them and a metal hoop, and that holds them down. And that's what you hear in, like, salsa music. If you're a Rolling Stones fan, then you can hear them in Sympathy for the Devil, the beginning. They're the primary percussion instrument in all Latin music. And I started studying those, and that's what got me to really decide I definitely want to pursue it. In college, when I was in high school, I started studying all the different types of drums, the concert drums, and taking piano lessons and learning about the marimba and the xylophone, which are keyboard instruments that you hit with mallets so they're percussive melodic instruments and I got to college and studied at the University of Montana with Dr. Bob Ledbetter that man was definitely an inspiration changed my life in a lot of ways I'll never forget his quote I always would tell him that I was tired he was like oh you didn't practice this enough and I said I'm sorry I'm tired he said you can sleep when you're dead and then his other famous quote which has definitely kept me from falling into the category that my family's always been known as at the Weber time showing up late yeah I started that in college and Bob told me 
words to live by. To be early is to be on time. To be on time is to be late. And to be late is to be dead. <laughs> so, with that advice, I showed up early to practice. I showed up early to rehearse. I showed up early for my classes. And I practiced as much as I could in college. And Dr. Ledbetter definitely encouraged me to explore all of the Afro-Cuban percussion. And the program in University of Montana is fantastic because they got a lot of guest artists to come in and teach there and I became the drumline section leader so I was in charge of maintaining all the marching band drums and I also was his assistant for his history of rock and roll class so I worked really closely with Dr. Bob and with my own intentions of being able to influence him on who came to visit the University of Montana as our guest artist and convinced him to have some Latin musicians come and teach timbales and teach congas and that's when I met Miguel my teacher Miguel Bernal who is absolutely amazing musician and he came to our school and taught a percussion instrument called the bata drums and bata it's modeled after the drums that they still play in Nigeria but it's the Cuban adaption of this instrument and the bata the word bata means six heads one voice so the bata drums look like hourglasses they have two rawhide heads one of the only percussion instruments that i know of that doesn't have a hole for the sound to come out of if you look at a snare drum or a bass drum or a conga any drum pretty much they have a hole where the sound comes out of but the bata have a head on both sides that covers the hole on one side there's going to be a small rawhide head so all three of them have a small head on on one side and they have a large head on the other side and the small head is going to give like a very high slap sound very high pitch and slappy the bigger head is going to give you a lower pitch and usually the way the drums work is you sit them on your lap with one head towards your right hand and one head towards your left hand the left hand between the three drums is going to make an ostinato uh, usually triplets and with the right hand you're going to make a melody it's extremely complex and it requires three people to not only be proficient at making the sounds of the drum but also to know what all the rhythms are and how you change in the rhythms what all the melodies are and more importantly to have the focus to be able to put all the pieces together with the two other people that are playing with you it requires extreme focus and concentration and huge degree of unity between the three drummers that are playing it the vata drums when i discovered them my life was immediately changed as soon as i heard them it felt like something that i I had heard as a child that just came back to me magically and it was something that I felt in my heart and in my soul and I was one of the only people in the class that could I could play the rhythms and Miguel told me you understand these rhythms you should come to study them with me in Cuba and that was in 1998 he gave me a couple groups to listen to and I started studying but continued with my college route lots of drum set and played the marimba in the jazz band the percussion ensemble played in a steel band 
tried to make my own, I guess I would call it a hip-hop salsa band because we were playing more hip-hop, but I was playing congas like I was playing salsa. And then just before I graduated, I went to another master class, another guy teaching the Afro-Cuban rhythms, and two guys that are in the class, they knew the songs and the rhythms, and I was like, what's with you guys? And they said, oh, well, we have this house where we're studying the Afro-Cuban stuff, and I went over to the house, and they said, we're all going to Cuba. Do you want to go? And I said, of course, of course. And they were saying that they were going to come and study with their teacher. And I was like, fantastic. I have somebody that I want to go and study with. So we went to Cancun and then flew over to Havana. When we got here, we went to their teacher's house. And the teacher, coincidentally, was Miguel Bernal. And when I saw him and he saw me, we recognized each other. And he was like, oh, you made it. He was real happy. And then my first trip here... I stayed for a month, which I would say for your first trip to Cuba, probably a little bit longer than you want to stay here because it is intensely hot and very third world. So I would probably recommend two weeks on your first visit. At any rate, I didn't know that. And I had planned on staying here for a month. We stayed in his house, took a three-hour lesson every day. And in addition to that, I took lessons from several other people. I took timbali lessons from a guy named Pascual. I took rumba lessons from my godfather in Ifa, in Orula, who was the tres dos player in Clave Huamanco. He's Manio. He's passed away. Ibaye. May he rest in peace. I took Warapachangueo lessons from Amarito. And both uh, Mario and Amarito played in the group Clave Huamanco. And then a three-hour lesson with Miguel every day, learning the bata drums. And I'd say after the month of doing three hours on the bata drums every day, I now, in hindsight, a very limited degree of proficiency in playing bata drums, but at the time I thought I had learned a lot. I would say the bata drums are definitely a life journey, something that will take a long time to learn everything but really rewarding and magical instrument to play. If you just joined us, we're recording on location in central Habana, Cuba. We're sitting in a restaurant on Carlo Tresero, which is a pretty busy street. You can hear the cars behind me going off. That's like rush hour traffic. It's just after 5. I'm speaking with Iao, my brother, who by the time the show airs, you can call him Jesse Weber. He's based in San Francisco, California, and he is a percussionist who plays every drum you could imagine, including the guitar. He's also an amazing dancer. Iao, I want to talk to you about the bata drums and why they're so complex. You just played for a ceremony recently, and someone asked you if there was written music, and you said, no, it's only in your head. So can you tell us a little bit more about the bata and why it's played? Oh, so the bata drums are sacred. They're used for religious purposes. In the religion, which is known as Santaria in Cuba, there are orishas. Orishas are the spirits of nature, the spirits of humanity that govern everything that happens in our life. For a couple examples... Let's start with Chango. He represents fire, lightning, male virility, strength, male sexuality, war, 
And then we'll talk about Yemaya. Yemaya represents the ocean and all water and motherhood. And she's the mother figure that brings life and is stern but always passionate and shows compassion, caring. So the bata drums are played before pretty much every major ceremony that's going to happen in the religion. And the first thing that happens is an amazing piece of music. It's a through-composed piece of music. It's called the Oro Seco. What happens is the drums salute each of the Orishas. So it goes through, and there's 26 different movements, different little small songs that all piece together. It's a salute. It's paying homage to each one of the Orishas, the forces of nature. Usually about... 40 minutes long depending on who plays it and how much embellishment they do but it's fairly intense piece of music i mean no matter what there's 26 different orishas that you're saluting 26 different songs so even if you only spend a minute on each one it's at least 26 minutes long but usually like 40 i've heard them that are up to an hour long depending on who's playing it the thing about this piece of music is there's no stops there's just audio signals that let you know when you're moving to the next piece and each one of them has a whole composition to it and every one of the people that are playing the drums have to have them all memorized and understand all of the changes and the order that you're going to play them in and the order that you play them in changes depending on which Arisha is being honored in the ceremony so it's definitely not something that you're going to just jump into in fact, in order to even touch the drums that have been consecrated, you have to also go through a ceremony just to be allowed to touch them. You're on the trail less traveled, which today is being recorded on location in central Habana, Cuba. We are speaking with Iao, who by the time the show airs, you can call him Jesse Weber. Iao is based in San Francisco, California. He plays every percussion instrument you could ever imagine, and also the guitar. Yao, it's time for a song. Can you think of a song that would behoove what we've been talking about recently? I think it would be great to hear Abalona, which is the name of a group, Abalona. One of their songs for Obatala, which is my guiding Arisha.
you're on the trail less traveled and this early evening late afternoon we are recording the show on location in central Havana, cuba we are on a pretty busy street right now and you will hear the sound of vintage cars buzzing behind me in the distance and we are speaking with iao my brother who by the time this show airs you can call him jesse weber he grew up in wyoming and montana and is based now in San Francisco, California. His first visit to Cuba was in the year 2000. He has been coming to Cuba to study music for the past 18 years. This is his eighth visit to Cuba. Iao, I would like to ask you now about Cuba. Tell us about this beautiful country, this beautiful island, this beautiful culture. My goodness. Well, it's one of the few places where I feel really safe all the time. I mean, there's not a large amount of guns or any kind of violence it's a very safe place the people here are amazingly warm-hearted and fantastic i mean they love to joke they love to talk to you they love to tell you stories and they love music and dance song the music is like constant there's music all the time everywhere everyone here can sing a song to you and when the music starts there's bound to be a dance party anytime really fun people and it's an extremely diverse culture here lots of people from different backgrounds it's kind of a fantastic little melting pot of the caribbean culture the african the spanish it's one place where i find very small amount of racism which i think is amazing it's really a lot different than most places especially wyoming where i grew up montana there's virtually no racism here the views are amazing just walking through the city you're like definitely gonna find lots of breathtaking architecture and the color and the the sights that you see you're just amazed with them Iao, can you potentially paint the picture of walking the streets of habana for someone who's never been here Mostly three-story, some four-story, but mostly two- and three-story buildings. Streets are skinny. You can just barely fit two cars past each other on the streets. Might have to go up on the sidewalk, which the sidewalk is only wide enough for one person to walk down. The streets are dirty. There's a lot of potholes. It's not a place that you'd want to be driving, at least not in a nice car. Or rollerblading, for that matter. Definitely not going to be rollerblading or skateboarding on these streets. They're not smooth streets. And fantastic architecture, colonial-style architecture, but hasn't had any care for 30 years. A lot of amazingly beautiful buildings that are crumbling. They're just crumbling down. The paint's peeling off. But the paint, the colors are fantastic. Pastel green and pink and blue, light blue, dark blue. The Cuban flag hanging across the street, flowing in the wind. A couple little kids playing soccer with some weird ball that you're not sure what kind of ball it is. In the middle of the street, six guys sitting around a small table playing dominoes and yelling with loud voices couple dogs running down playing the way the dogs play somebody on a bicy taxi coming down hissing to make people get out of their ways and then 
some lovely, gorgeous-looking woman with a big cigar in her mouth, smoking it and talking in a loud, loud Spanish, excited about something. Definitely hear three different types of music playing in the background, and then a big, huge, old, classic 57 Chevy goes blowing by with a huge puff of black smoke. It's amazing. The scenery is amazing. It's just like nothing else. I love it. I love walking down the street here. I wish that I could just get a GoPro and time-lapse a day-long stroll through the streets of Havana. No one would believe what you see here. It's great. I love walking through the city. I do it every day. Yeah, well, we don't have that much time, but I was wondering if you could give us a little sprinkle of the history of Cuba. Wow. A sprinkle of the history of Cuba. Well, so Cuba was founded on slavery. Lots of slaves from Africa, specifically Nigeria, were brought here. In Cuba, slavery was abolished in the 1800s, 1886, somewhere around there, I believe. And so these Africans, they brought their culture here. And it's one place in the world where it was preserved much better than anywhere else. And the specifically like the religion and the, and the religious music of Africa... And also the bembe, the palo, yuka, makuta, the Congo music. It's really alive and people play it. It's developed here in a different way than it's developed in Africa because it hasn't had any influence from anywhere off the island except for what they can pick up from radio stations in Mexico and the United States. And uh, so the mix is amazing. The revolution definitely, you know, Havana was a, a big kind of resort area before the revolution where there was a lot of Americans coming over here investing a bunch of money. You see the history of that. You see the big clubs and the really art deco buildings and stuff like that that had a bunch of money dumped into them, but then the revolution happened and that all went away. The revolution, I feel like it's a good thing that it happened to Cuba, but it's crazy how it's changed. I mean, you know, they have a fantastic education system. Everybody gets education. If you want to learn, you can go to school. You don't have to go into a huge amount of debt or spend a ton of money to go to college or study whatever you want here. You just need to do it. You just need to let them know that you want to do it and commit to it. If you get sick, you go to the hospital and they'll take care of you. You don't have to have any money. You don't have to go into debt. It's one thing that I think is so messed up about the United States, the education and the healthcare system specifically so that history has made this a really strong country and I mean just in recent history I came right after the hurricanes that happened and Texas was a mess after the hurricanes because nobody knew what to do and nobody helped and they just waited for the government to come in and help Cuba recovered so fast because everyone just chipped in together they worked all together and one by one cleaned out each other's houses and cleaned up the disaster from the hurricane. It's amazing how it works when everybody sticks together and works together. Besides that, the history of the music is amazing because you have the roots from Africa, all of the African music, and then you have the Spanish coming and settling here, and so you get the Spanish troubadour music mixing with the African music. That's how was born Danzon and Changui, the art of telling a story with a song like that and the, and the mix of the African style and 
the birth of the Roomba. Roomba in the Cajon, this is born from the people working down in the harbor on the ships, unloading the ships, unloading the boxes, and they take a break, and they sit down on the boxes and hit them, and they sound like a drum, and all of a sudden they're like testing the different boxes. They sound like different drums, and there they start playing the African rhythms on there. That's the birth of the Cajon. And the congas, those are the rum barrels, and then you play the top of it, and it sounds like a drum. Oh, it would stretch a goat skin over the top of it, and it'll sound a lot better. Then it sounds like the drums from Africa, and then you have the birth of the rumba. The rumba is fantastic. It's the storytelling and the competition dance between the man and the woman, the chicken and the rooster. You know, honestly, like, that's one of the things that really drew me to the bata drums, the rhythms of the bata drums. Throughout the Oro Seiko, you will hear something from hip-hop, something from R&B, some country music, some danzon, some salsa elements, every single type of music. Those rhythms come from Africa. It's the root of everything. And the culture is so well-preserved here. The rhythms of Africa are so well-preserved, the way that the development of music. And then, you know, we have the Cubans being able to hear some radio stations from the United States, from Florida, and hearing some of that older music, the disco music, and that mixes into the salsa music. And then you have this, like, new form of salsa. And then you get the rap, and then the salsa turns into a little reggaeton. And it's amazing how the music is developed here and the history of the music in Cuba. It's so rich. I just feel like life is too short to really comprehend fully this magical place for me anyways hopefully I'll get to visit a lot more times Linda, beautiful we have been recording on location for the trail less traveled here in central Havana, Cuba. This is the first and definitely not the last time that I'm going to be recording the trail less traveled on location in Cuba we have been speaking with Iao, my brother, who by the time the show airs, you can call him Jesse Weber. And he lives in San Francisco, California, and comes to Cuba as often as humanly possible to study his music. This is his eighth visit to Cuba, and most certainly not his last. Iao, I would like to ask you what you have learned from your time here in Cuba. Wow, I've learned to trust and not trust people. Trust myself more than anything. I've learned Spanish. I'm definitely getting better at speaking Spanish, which makes me happy. I've learned not to judge anyone. I've learned to be unafraid. I've learned to be unafraid to try new foods, try new experiences, try to meet new people. I've learned that the world is an amazing place, and if you open your heart and your eyes and your mind to what it has to offer, you will learn something new from every person that you meet, every experience that you have. And uh, so I've learned to be open to learning. Yo, can you give the listener three bits of advice? Three bits of advice. Well, for me, to you, listener, first... Every single person deserves a chance. So anytime you meet someone, give them a chance. Be open, be respectful, and treat them exactly the way that you would want to be treated. That's piece of advice number one. Piece of advice number two is 
life's too short not to spend time with the people that you love. So if you find someone that you love, you have people that you love, spend as much time with you can. You have to just cherish the friendship, the, the relationships that you have with each person that, that's in your life and, and spend as much time as you can with them. My third piece of advice, smile. It's always good to smile. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment while it's there because once it passes, it's gone. And smile at everyone you see because your smile will light up a room that'll lighten the energy and that'll make other people around you smile and when people are smiling they're happy and they take care of each other I think we have way too many bad things in this world to not smile when we have good things so the more you smile the more good things will be happening in your life beautiful Yo, what song would you like to end your show with you know it's gonna have to be Los Van Van Somos Cubanos. Los Fambans, one of my favorite bands, and I think you'll enjoy this thoroughly. Los Fambans is a band from Havana, Cuba, one of the most famous bands from Havana, Cuba. It's a type of music called timba music, so the song is called Somos Cubanos, and it's a fantastic mix of, of a little bit of rumba, the African music, and salsa timba. Enjoy. Namaste, Missoula. Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, The Trail 1033's adventure series. I'd like to thank my guest for this week, Jesse Weber. Jesse was born in Wyoming and started playing percussion as a child. He graduated from the University of Montana School of Music and plays every type of percussion instrument imaginable, including the cajon, congas, drum kit, bata drum, and xylophone, as well as piano, guitar, and vocals. Jesse has been studying percussion in Cuba since 2000 and plays in numerous bands where he is now based in San Francisco, California. My name's Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for this show is to take you, a listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment storytelling. Therefore, every week I'll be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how the community can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is dedicated to collecting stories and sounds from the most remote locations around the world every Sunday night at 6. You can see pictures, archive previous episodes, and contact me on the official website, traillesstraveled.net. The podcast is also available for free wherever you gather podcasts. So please, subscribe and write us a review to help this new genre of adventure radio. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded and harvested at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana. Or, most often, recorded on location around the world in order for me to find these adventurers and connect with them in their natural habitat. Tonight's episode was recorded on the bustling streets of Havana, Cuba. My adventure tip this week is to travel with peppermint oil. Placing a tiny amount of oil on your temples or on the back of your neck will cool your body when traveling in extremely hot and humid climates. Also, a drop of peppermint oil on the tongue can help bring a person out of a bad LSD trip if you happen to encounter that on your travels as well. That's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, please do something for Mother Earth and get outside. Shred the gnar. 
Because as you know, the thing about the gnar is, it does not shred itself.